Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our series titled The Six Acts or Six Acts, The Unfolding Drama of Scripture. And remember, the goal of this series is very, very simple. We want to make sense and try to, I want to try to help you make sense of the whole collection of Scripture and see how it's one unified story that really unfolds in six acts. And like any story, you have to understand the very beginning of the story to then make sense of what happens in the middle and the end. Last week, we looked at Act 1 and we focused on creation. And we learned that God created everything. He is the grand artist that just made everything and put purpose and gave purpose to all that he created. We saw that on the sixth day, he created humans who were the grand finale of his creation, and we were made in his image, right? And that's very important that humans were created to be the image bearers of God. We were created like angle mirrors to reflect God's goodness and God's character into the world, but then reflect all that is good and great back, in, back up to God through our praise and through our worship. So humans were created in his image to, to give him glory, to manage the earth, to rule the earth on his behalf. Right? We were made to be his stewards under his divine leadership, meaning we're not on our own. We don't have authority to do whatever we want. We serve under God. And right from the very beginning, something we didn't talk about last week because it's important for this week, but last week we saw that humans were created with this ability to choose. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says this. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruits, you will surely die. So to be human when we were created means we have the ability to choose. As God's image bearers, his stewards, he gave us this bit of authority to make decisions on, like, as we see fit. And so one of the first things we see is to be human means we can choose to live as God told us to live. We can live under his divine umbrella with the instructions he gave us, or we can choose to go our own way and face the consequences. So what's very clear is from the beginning, God desired this intimate relationship with us, this special privilege we were given with, uh, from him as his image bearers to, to follow him, but he gave us this ability to choose. So not only could we choose to be in relationship with him and, and follow what he's told us to do, he also created us to be in relationship with each other. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And then we're told that God created Eve to be Adam's partner. Now, what is very clear is that word, azair, helper, does not mean assistant. 
That's how many people hear that word today, that helper means assistant. That's not what it means at all. Because that word is there is used for God helping his people. And we would never think that God is our assistant who just helps us when we need. That's not what it means at all. It clearly means that she is to bring strength to Adam. Like she has something that he doesn't have. And so the idea here is that Adam was lonely. He was in need. And so God created Eve, right? Adam was in need, so he created Eve to come and bring strength to and reflect God's goodness in the, in the created war, world, something that Adam didn't have. So humans were not only created to have this intimate relationship with God, but they were also created to have an intimate relationship with each other. And this is fundamental to the human story, something we're going to see that keeps coming back up over and over again, which is why when we fast forward to Jesus, he says something like this, where he says this in Mark 12, 29 through 31, says Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and all your mind, with all your strength. The second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. You see, this thing that we're learning about in Genesis is the same thing we see Jesus bringing up. And it's not a new thing. It's the same thing. It's the main thing. What we, repeat, we repeatedly see throughout the scripture. Because we know that loving God isn't easy. We know that loving others isn't easy. Even though that's what we are created and designed for, this relationship with God, this relationship with the others, we know something happened to where Jesus has to reflect this back in. So says, hey guys, don't forget, this is the most important thing, but something has happened that's broken and fractured both of these relationships, which is what we find out in Act 2, we'll call it, Act 2, the fall. It's rebellion in the kingdom. And where we left off last week is God created humans, right, to, to tend to the garden, to take care of it. Things seem to be going well. They're charged to protect it, rule over the earth on his behalf, right, to follow him, eat from everything except for one tree, or reject him. Then Genesis 3, it says this, Genesis 3, 1. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Now, let's go ahead and deal with the, 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 the weird thing here, talking snake. How many of you have heard a snake talk before? Good. None of us, right? So where did it come from? No idea. Why is a snake talking? No idea. Did other animals talk? No idea. But what we do know is back then, snakes were thought of as representing evil, right? So whatever else is going on that you can get caught up and, and go down those rabbit holes that you can email Scott about, whatever else is going on, we see that we're introduced to this tempter. We're introduced to evil, and the temptation is introduced as a question, one of the oldest tricks in the book, quite literally, questioning God, right? It starts with, did God really say, right? Causing doubt, things like that. Verse two, I mean, excuse me, yeah, verse two. Of course we may eat from the, uh, from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or touch it And if you do, you will surely die. 
So Eve is not only the first defender of the faith saying, no, 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 we, we, we can eat from all these other things, just not that one. But she also becomes the first legalist because what does she add on here? Yeah, touch it. That's what some of your parents did. They created these extra rules, right, to try to protect you, and it ends up going too far. Verse 4, he says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open, and as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. See, the serpent is denying any bad things going to happen, but rather, instead of something bad happen, they're going to be like God. God, and that's the problem with humans. We want to be like God. We want autonomy. We want to be independent. And herein lies the temptation all of us will face. Rather than looking at everything God created, right? This is how a temptation comes. All the goodness and all the blessings that we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, the abundance, the relationship, all the goodness, one, pro, one, one limitation, just one. Out of all the goodness, and now the temptation focuses on what? The one thing. And now God looks like the great prohibitor. Look what he's trying to stop me from doing. Never mind you all the things you can do and all the blessings that are involved in all that. We start looking as God as the great, uh, the great God withholding his best from us. And the truth is, he says, you will know both good and evil. Well, they already know what good and evil is. They haven't experienced it yet. But they knew good being God. They knew evil was disobeying God. He said, don't do that. But there's a difference, and you know this too. There's a difference between knowing something's good and bad and then experiencing that bad. Once you experience the consequences and that, that, that shame, we're going to call it, once you get a hold of that, it's a whole different world. And this is what he's provoking them to, to actually experience it. But God hasn't experienced evil. He's not evil. There's this twist on words and these lies that's going on here. But verse 6, it did what it needed to do. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. So she rejects what God says and allows her senses to take over. And you've never done that, have you? Never. Okay, we all have, right? She saw it was beautiful. How many sins have you create? Uh, how many sins have you committed because of lust? Don't raise your hand on that one. <laughs> Plenty, correct? It looked delicious. She looked to this to truly satisfy her needs. How many sins have you committed thinking that new thing, that next thing, would satisfy your deep inner desires? Like this will finally be the thing that fixes me. And she wanted the wisdom. She thought she was missing out on something. I mean, how many sins have you done because you thought you were going to miss out on this experience, on this thing, and you need to be a part of it? You see, every temptation, folks, come back, come, comes back to this. It starts with questioning God. And then it rejects God's purpose and his plans and turns God into the great restrictor of life. And so then it's easy to start looking at all the things he prohibits as this great killjoy and all the things he's trying to stop, rather than looking at all the blessings and all the goodness that he brings, we change the script and look at it in a negative way. And so she chooses to follow her senses, lust, fulfillment, the pursuit of knowledge. And what was Adam doing? He was probably off working, wasn't he? It says, then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her 
and he ate it too. So here's the great picture of this brave man passively sitting there doing absolutely nothing, watching all of this unfold. And if you've attended any of our men's study, you know we make much of this passive men sitting back watching the world happen in front of them when they've been called to lead and take charge and move forward in life. Adam was right there being silent, not saying a word. And the effects are then seen immediately. Verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Shame has now entered the world because sin creates shame. We confuse this quite a bit in, in, in our language, but in biblical language, uh, guilt is, is a noun. It's not a feeling. So you are either guilty or not guilty. Kind of like when you go to court and you got that speeding ticket, you're either guilty, which, which you probably are, right? You're either guilty or you're not guilty. The feeling that accompanies guilt biblically is shame. That's what we're experiencing when we sin. It's, it's shame, that feeling of regret, remorse, the we did something bad. Sin causes the feeling of shame, and that's something that we can't get around. Even in our society, in our culture, where we're trying to say sin doesn't exist, we're trying to declassify things as sin, one thing they still haven't figured out how to deal with, and they can't figure out where it comes from, is shame. You can't medicate it away either. And it still, it, it, it plagues our society, the idea, idea of shame, and it runs rampant because it's a natural consequence of sin. It won't go away. And so Adam and Eve do what we all try to do. We try to cover it. We try to pretend it didn't happen. We try to patch things up, like, let me sow some fig leaves. Let me take care of this. But it doesn't work. We see their relationship, which was innocent, now has become broken. Something has happened to their relationship. Not only has their relationship been affected, but so has also theirs with God. Look at verse 8. It says, When the cool of the evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. So evidently, God would come walk in his creation in the evening. I guess he doesn't like it hot. He came when it, was, when it was cool. Okay, that's what he did. And out of their shame, what do they do? How ridiculous is that, by the way? Well, how ridiculous is it when you try to hide from them? But yet we do all the time. Like this is a common sign when people pull away from the church. I'm just letting you know, here's some insight. When you pull away from the church, guess what the first thing pastors start thinking about? Boy, I wonder what sin they're caught up in. You're like, that's not fair. It's biblical. It happens. Right? Not saying always, but a lot of times when people start pulling away, it's because of shame. You're like, man, I better start going to church more. I know. So it's not what we think, but it's shame. We're trying to hide. We're trying to get away. We're trying to run from God, which sounds absurd, but yet we do it all the time. And here's God, verse 9. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Just picturing that. He replied, I heard you walking the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I guess the fig leaves didn't hold up the way they thought they would. It says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Shame causes fear. 
Fear that we will be found out. Fear that people will see our guilt and know what we've done wrong. And of course, Adam exposes his own sin and his answer. Hey, I found out I was naked. Like I didn't want to be around you. And God, like any parent, asks questions that he already knows the answers to. Says, hey, have you done this thing? Like, are you just going to own it? Are you going to admit it? Can we move on? Is this going to be restored? And of course, this is the, the great brave man who said nothing when his wife was being tempted and he was being tempted. So he's going to own his mistake, right? Yeah, you must know how the story goes. Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and ate it. It was the woman's fault. God, if you think about this, I didn't make her. I was doing just fine, and then you made this woman. If it wasn't for this woman, I would have never ate it. Like, really, God, if you think about this, you created this whole mess. God, really, sin is your fault. How many times have you blamed other people for your sin? How many times have you blamed God for your sin? Yet it's the same thing Adam has done. It's not my fault. It's really Eve's, really yours. I mean, come on, God, this is you. So we turn to the woman. She probably owns up to it, right? Like, okay, let me ask her about it. Verse 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent did it. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Like, God, if you think about it, it wasn't my fault. You made the snake. Why'd you make the snake? If you didn't make the snake. In fact, why'd you make the tree, God? If you wouldn't have made the tree, if you wouldn't have given me a choice, then I wouldn't have had a choice. Then. So really, if you think about it, God. It's really your fault that this happened. Rather than owning the mistakes and owning the responsibility, they did the same thing that we do. We blame everybody else but ourselves. We say, well, you did it. You created. And we see the pronouncement then of these, these cursings, the punishment. God says a serpent must crawl on its belly. I guess it had legs before. I don't know, but that's what it says. So it has to crawl and eat the dust. We see this divide. What it's showing us is this divide between humans and, and evil. There's going to be this problem, this, this fighting going on. And then we see the pain in childbearing increases. I personally, I don't feel that much during childbearing, to be completely honest with you. Like, it wasn't really a problem for me. Um, but evidently, what we're told here is that the pain were going to increase. So, so don't picture that like childbearing wasn't going to have any pain. We're told that the childbearing pain was going to increase because we get this idea that like in Eden, there was no such thing as pain. I don't, I don't believe that was true. We see that pain was increased. And we know pain isn't a bad thing. Pain tells us that something's wrong. So right, they weren't like feelingless people. They had feelings. So pain is now increased. And we see that there's this desire for her husband, that she will want to rule him, but he will rule her. This isn't saying this is a good thing, by the way. What we see in this curse is that now conflict in the home is going to happen between men and women in the home. Like, have you ever experienced that? I haven't. Our home life is perfect. <laughs> never had a problem, never fought. I just say, yes, ma'am. And it seems to work all the time. But now we see work, so, so we see those curses pronounced, but we always see this, this idea of work becoming fruitless. So humans were created to work. Like that's not part of the curse. Sin is not you working. Working has always been a part of what it means to be human. But now work, you're gonna work really hard and it's not gonna produce what you thought it would produce. It's not gonna give you what you thought it would give you. And then we see Adam and Eve cast out of the garden. 
They're not allowed to go back there. But before that, we see God make them clothes from animals. And although it doesn't say it here, we see sacrifices alluded to for their sins. And what's even more shocking is that in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their disobedience, we see the picture of this God who is moving towards humans. You can't miss this, guys. It's all throughout the Bible because we get this other idea of God. But right from the start, we see God moving towards them, working with them, helping them, fixing what happened. Even though the relationship's been severed, we see God redeeming and guiding them in that midst. And so what's important for us to to see in this story, the thing that we quite often miss, right? Because we can have conversation after conversation about talking snakes and what all that means. We can have conversation after conversation about God walking at the cool of night and what that means. We can even get laser focused on the curses and start complaining about what they mean and what they don't mean. We can get caught up in the creative order of men and women. Like there's so many things we get caught up in this that we miss the bigger picture. In fact, even Christians do this. Christians, we generally read this story. Like if you know Jesus Christ, you have that settled. We read the story and we immediately start blaming. We jump to the doctrine of what people say is called original sin. And this this doctrine states that all humans inherit sin because Adam and Eve sinned. In other words, we do what Adam and Eve did because of Adam and Eve. Like we inherited their sin nature. That's what the doctrine of original sin is. And so we start looking at that and then start getting really aggravated going, well, Adam, I'd be perfect if it wasn't for you. Right? That's what we start doing. It's not really my fault. Does that sound familiar? It's not really my fault. It's really Adam's fault. Like he did this thing. But what is so very interesting is the Old Testament never blames Eve for it. In fact, the New Testament never blames Adam and Eve for it. That doctrine of original sin was from Augustine in the 5th century. He was a great theological thinker, but he made an error in a translation. He made this error in Romans 5.12, and the way he translated, he said that all people are sinners because Adam sinned. But all scholars agree he mistranslated that verse. Because once you came up with the doctrine of original sin, then you need the doctrine of infant baptism, which... Followed. And they baptize babies to wash away what? Sin. They go together. That's where that's from. But all scholars agree, while he was a great theological thinker, he is not infallible and he mistranslated. What, what Paul's point in Romans 5.12 is this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. We know that. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Why did death spread to everyone, folks? For everyone sinned. Paul's point is we all experience death because we are all sinners. Paul's point isn't we sin because Adam sinned. Paul's point is we die because we are sinners. So while it is true, Adam introduced sin into the world and the world has been broke ever since. The idea that you and me can blame somebody else for our sins is not a biblical idea at all. Paul's point is that We are sinners. It's not Adam's fault. It's our fault. And so Genesis 3, and and we needed to talk about this because Genesis 3 isn't here for us to then blame somebody else for our sin. So often we miss this, that what this story is telling us is that you and me, we were Adam and Eve, folks. 
Like we would do the same thing in their situation because we do the same thing in their situation. That we, like Adam and Eve, we are sinners. Like we choose it too. You see, the point of any story is to find yourself in the story. And when you see the story of Adam and Eve, they chose to sin. But guess who else chooses to sin? We do. It's the common human problem. Sin is when we try to be autonomous and live independent from God. But what you're told from the beginning is you and me, we are responsible to our creator for our choices. Because we were were created with the ability to choose. And we can choose sin, we can choose God. And quite often we choose to sin. And so what we learn from these opening chapters in Genesis is that sin has entered the world. And that Adam and Eve, they chose to sin. But like Adam and Eve, you and me, we choose to sin as well. But then through Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, we see this massive problem of sin that seems to get out of hand quickly. And evidently, what we learn about it is we can't control it. Have you learned the hard way that you can't control sin? Like it gets out of hand pretty quick. And things that you never thought would happen end up happening, and it's far greater than you ever could have imagined. It's what we're introduced here. Genesis 4, we see the first murder, Cain and Abel. They both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Abel brought his best and was accepted. Evidently, Cain didn't bring his best, and it wasn't accepted. We see, of course, civil rivalry introduced here. If you have brothers or sisters, you're like, oh, it's been around since the beginning. Sure has. But when, when, when Cain's getting upset, look at what the Lord says to him in verse 6. He says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin's crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Again, he has a choice. He can allow sin to control him because that is the end game of sin. That is the end game of of what it wants. It wants to control you. It wants to rule you. It wants you to be a slave to what it wants. But God says, you have a choice. You don't have to give in. You don't have to to do that. We we don't say, hey, Cain, I know you're going to do this because of what your dad did. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. Your dad brought this into the world. It's not really your fault. Go ahead. No. He says, hey, sin wants to control you. Don't let it do it. You have a choice to rule over this thing. But we see he doesn't, and he kills his brother. We see then in Genesis 6 that the world becomes even more corrupt, and God gives an opportunity to be saved by this massive ark where Noah and his family decide to get on that ark. Others don't. The world is flooded. Fast forward a bit more, we're introduced to the Tower of Babel where human beings want to control and they want to create this tower to, to reach up to the heavens rather than going about the earth and scattering like they're supposed to, to rule the earth and subdue it and multiply. They kind of all come together and God confuses their language and they're able to scatter it all around. And here's my point. We could expound over and over on all of these stories But for our purposes, what we need to see is Genesis 3 through 11 is not only that sin's introduced to the world, but we see how sin has massive consequences on our lives. 
that it gets out of hand far, far more, and it's far greater, and it's far more powerful than we can possibly imagine. But humans were given a choice right from the beginning to obey God and follow him, to rule the earth on his behalf and be his image bearers, or to reject him. So from a biblical worldview, the reason why the world is so broken, the reason why it's so painful, the reason why it seems so daggone hard, it's because it is. And it's because of sin. You see, this explains why relationships are so difficult. Over and over again throughout this biblical story, we're going to see the strain on human relationships because of sin. Sin destroys community. It fractures relationships both with God and other people. We will see the strain on relationships. Although you and me were designed to live in harmony with others, that's what we crave, that's what we want. It's not able to happen all the time because pride not only shatters our relationship with God, but it shatters our relationship with each other. And sin, what we find out, is sin always hurts somebody. Like someone always gets hurt in it, which is why we see Jesus come on the scene and say, like, put others first. If you want to be the greatest, serve other people. This has always been the core purpose of humans, to serve and be united with others, but yet that's been fractured. That's why even in relationships, we face loneliness and pain. Sin is why, the, why work is so frustrating. We were created to work. We were given a purpose, but that has now been broken and shifted. And quite often, I've met so many people, and perhaps you have, I, I know I have people who want purpose and meaning from work, and we think that it's going to fulfill us. We think it's going to satisfy us. And what I learned from every single person is they never get the fulfillment. They never get the satisfaction that they desire out of their work because of sin. It's told that the curse is that you're not going to get out of it what you think. Your job will never give you purpose and meaning in this world. The only thing that's going to give you purpose and meaning in this world is Jesus Christ. And once you find your purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ, then you can do all sorts of things for his glory. Like all sorts of things. God cares far more about your character than your career. If God can elevate a shepherd boy in the middle of nowhere, if he could take this little shepherd boy who has nothing and make him king over his people, he can give you whatever title he wants. He can move you to any place he wants. But what God wants from us is us to have that relationship with him. He wants to build character in us. Your job is not going to satisfy. We see that from the effects of sin. And sin is what's wrong with the world. Sin has distorted and broken what it means to be human. So the only way we can truly find out, and this is what Christians are after, okay? We are trying to find out what does it look like to actually be human. We can't derive that from science. We can't figure that out on our own. Like we go to God because we know sin has plagued this world. We know sin has plagued our lives. And so we go to God to find out what it truly means to be human. Sin is the problem. But the great thing about it, and I'm fast forwarding because I have to, the great problem of sin has been solved in the purpose and the work of Jesus Christ. We can't actually solve a problem that's already been solved. Although we try and we look for it, Jesus has come to re rescue and redeem. And Jesus is renewing this world. He's recreating us to which we will get to in a couple of weeks. But act two 
Act one is creation. Act two is the fall. And this is the problem of the world. Like any story, right, there's a conflict, an issue that the main character has to deal with. And for our biblical story is the issue that the main character has to deal with. Is this sin? The human's rebellion. And the crazy thing about the story is he chooses to use us people who are the problem. It's an amazing story. One, I hope you continue to lean in and learn from. But sin, listen, the reason why Christians or anybody who follows the Bible, the reason why we make much of sin is because we believe that this is the cause for all the pain and the suffering and the hurt in this world. It's a desire to want to be independent and autonomous from God, but we find out we weren't created for that. It's not going to work. You cannot be independent and autonomous. You didn't create yourself. It doesn't work that way. But luckily for us, we see the main character of the story continue his redemption plan. He doesn't stop. All because of his great love for us. We still God, we see God active and alive. Next week, we're going to see God choose to call another person, a different person, who are going to become a people to carry out his orders, to be his image bearers, to reflect his glory and goodness in the world. But until then, the thing I just hope you think about, and I hope the thing you just make, and and maybe this is already real to you, is that the problem and the pain is sin. But that's what the Bible, this, this is the Christian worldview. Problem is sin that you and me have chosen to do. And we need to be saved and redeemed from that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we are reminded about the effects of sin. We know how sin has broken our lives, the sin of others, how, they have, how it has affected and harmed us. In fact, the sin we have participated in to harm others. Father, we know sin is devastating. We ask for your forgiveness from that. We are reminded that each one of us was hopelessly lost until you came to save us, Father. We were dead in our sins, but you showed up to redeem us and free us from the ultimate consequences of that sin. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Help us share the good news with others so they too can experience life-changing grace found in Jesus. Father, today I pray that as we are reminded of sin, that we are also reminded of the freedom found in Jesus Christ. While sin has wrecked havoc on this world, we know that you want to remake each one of us through Jesus. So, Father, we ask you to help us in our struggle. Help us see this morning that living in sin is a choice and one that we do not have to make. You can redeem us and set us free from that. So we thank you, God, our Redeemer, who chases after us. We thank you for the true life you offer through the person and works of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.